Well, good morning. Let me say to those who are watching online, watching uh, by television, those at our Mill Creek campus, those who are here, we appreciate so much you being here. Um, let me take a moment and let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is why we've been doing this stuff, okay? I've never done that as a pastor in my life, and I'm not used to it, but it's, uh, it is what it is. So let me just take a moment and, and talk about it. Um, I believe that in every situation that we face, God has a word for us. And God's word for us, I believe, is in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Here's what God's word says. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So I want to just take that one simple text and just share with you three ways as followers of Jesus we need to be responding to this day. Not the way the world's responding, not the way the media's responding, the way followers of Jesus, okay? Number one... We ought to be confident, okay? We ought to be confident. God has not given us a, a spirit of fear, okay? God has given us a spirit of a sound mind and, and, and of power. And so we're not to have a spirit of fear because let me just, and I just made these comments so I want to make sure that we didn't mess these up. I am not being flippant about this, okay? But there is a bigger problem here than the virus of illness. That's the greater virus of fear, Fear's contagious. Fear just goes everywhere. And we're to face every situation, the scripture says, not with faith or not with fear, but with faith. Fear is the most contagious faith in history. So Paul says, look, if, if you've got a spirit of fear, that's not from God. We don't have a spirit of fear. So number one, let's, let's be confident. Let's look at the facts before we, we react in fear. Number two, be considerate. He says, we've got the spirit of love. So we need to be considerate of others during this time. So if you've been to a foreign country, you know, and, and you've been disidentified as having a problem particularly, or you've been running a fever or coughing or whatever within the last 24 hours, just do the loving thing and minimize or eliminate for the time being exposing others to any potential illness. That's why for the short-term future, we're changing the way we greet each other. It's not because I'm afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm a hugger. You know, I'll shake hands. I'm not afraid. But out of consideration for other people, that's why we're kind of restraining from handshaking and hugs. And this kind of thing has nothing to do with fear. We're just being considerate. It's a, it's a spirit of love. And then finally, be conscientious. He said, we have the spirit of sound judgment, of self-control. So here's the way we face problems. Whatever it is, if you're a believer, if you believe there's a sovereign God that's in control, if you believe your life is in his hands, doesn't matter how bad the situation is, we're not gonna be in chaos, we're not gonna be in panic like other people are, but in a cool, calm, collected fashion, we're gonna face the problem head on. So for example, in our church, we've taken all the precautions necessary to ensure as much as possible a germ-free, safe environment. We've got more hand sanitizer out the buildings than we've ever had in our life. In our next gen, all things that can be used like toys or games, they are regularly disinfected. We've already told you of our limited greeting policy. But at the end of the day, God is always asking this one question. Do you trust me or not? It's bottom line. Do you trust me or not? So let me tell you what this is. Let me tell you what the coronavirus is for us. I'm talking to God's people. This is a divine opportunity for us to show the world this is how we respond to a crisis like this. We don't panic. We don't say the world's falling apart. We don't, you know, we, we, we don't say the sky is falling. Here's what we do. We say, we know what? We're going to live by faith. 
not by fear, in the God who holds all things in his hands, works all things together for our good. So that's how we do crisis management as the people of God. Teresa and I were talking yesterday. She said, look, got this virus going around. So she said to me, are we still going to hug? Are we still going to kiss? Are we still going to be together and be close? I said, baby, there are some things worth dying for, okay? So don't worry about it. Now, all of that said, there are only six types of questions that have ever been asked in any language by anyone anywhere. And believe it or not, no one's ever come up with a seventh question. Nobody in all of history. We know there are only six. Who, what? Where, when, how, and why? Now, the great philosopher Aristotle, if he were teaching us today, here's what he would say. He would say, why don't you identify what you think is the most important question on that list? So there might be one of you might stand up and you say, well, Aristotle, I believe what is the most important question because if you figure out what to do, then everything else will fall into place. And Aristotle would look at you and he would say, why do you believe that? And then some of you might say, oh, I know who is the most important question. Because after all, if you get the right person in the right place, in the right position, at the right time, you will surely succeed. And Aristotle would again say, okay, why do you believe that? Because as a matter of fact, Aristotle said, no matter what other question you ask, you'll never ask the most important question until you ask the why Question. I believe Aristotle was absolutely right, which is why we're in a series that we're calling More to the Story. Because what we're going to be doing beginning last week and the next couple of weeks is not going to be telling you what to do. Most of the time, I get up here and I say, This is what you need to do. This is, you need to do this, this, and this. We're not doing that. I want to answer the why question. Why do I talk to you about tithing? Why do I ask you to have your one? Why do I ask you to read your Bible? Why do I ask you to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Why do I ask you to be faithful? Why do we ask you to serve in a church? Why do we ask you to go on a mission trip? Why do we ask you to do all of those things? And we're teaching, this is why. Why should you be involved personally in this church? Why should you be involved and invested financially in this church? There was an unknown person who wrote these words. I thought it was great. He said, there are two great moments in a person's life. The first is when you were born. The second is when you discover why you were born. Now, I'm going to get a little, it's going to sound a little bit arrogant, so just hang with me. But I'm going to make some assumptions and I'm going to make a statement that could sound incredibly arrogant if you're not careful. Assuming there is a God, that's assumption one, assuming there is a God. Assuming that that God has revealed himself to us. And assuming that that God has revealed himself in this book, and therefore assuming this book is his word and this book is true. Now, if you allow me to have all of those assumptions, I can tell you something right now. It's going to sound very arrogant. I know why you're here. I know the purpose for your life. You say, you don't even know me. I don't have to know you. You don't know my name. I don't have to know your name. I can say this to anyone, anywhere, at any time, and I know I'm 100% correct. I know exactly why you're here. I know why I'm here. I know what the purpose of your life truly is. Now, 
We may not carry that purpose out the same way. As a matter of fact, we won't because God's got different plans for each one of us. But the purpose is the same. I'm here for the same reason that you're here. You're here for the same reason I'm here. And what is so sad is I meet people every day of my life. They don't have a clue why they're here. Their, their life is being totally wasted and they don't even realize it because they think, wait a minute, I'm the president of my company. I drive a Mercedes. I live in a million dollar home. I've got a great golf game. I got a beautiful wife. I got great kids. I mean, I'm telling you, man, life is good. That all may be true, but that's not the purpose for why you were put here. And it's so sad to meet people that go, you don't have a clue. You don't even know why you're here. I was in Panama a couple of weeks ago. True story. There was one of our ladies, that was a, there was a man sitting in the, in fact, he's from Atlanta. This guy's sitting in the, in the lobby. She just walked over there, struck up a conversation, started trying to share the gospel. Well, this guy had all kinds of questions and she didn't know how to answer them. So I happened to be in the lobby. She came over, she said, hey, I'm trying to share the gospel with this guy. Can you come in? He's got some tough questions. I said, sure. So I walked over and, you know, trying to be friendly. And I said, so what's your name? I'm making this up. He said, my name is Yamaha. I said, no, what's your name? He says, Yamaha. I said, Yamaha's your name? He said, yeah. I said, really? Now, what I wanted to say is, so is your mother Kawasaki? Is your dad Harley Davidson? I mean, what, what's the deal here? I thought, well, that's not going to help the conversation. I said, well, Yamaha, that's a beautiful name. I said, so tell me, uh, what's your question? He said, well, I've got one question for you. And he said, I, I, I don't believe you can answer it. I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And he thought he was going to ask me a question I couldn't answer. And I figured maybe he may do it. I didn't know what he was going to say. You know, here's what he said to me. This was his question. So why am I here? I said, what do you mean why are you here? So I don't mean in Panama, why am I here? Why did God create me? He thought that was a hard question. He thought, man, you can't answer that question. And I thought to myself, I even said to him, you just asked me about the easiest question you could ever ask me. Let me tell you why I know that. We're gonna be in a book today, if you brought a copy of God's Word or wanna look on. We're in a book called Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. It's about five verse books over from the Gospels, or about three or four books over from the Gospels. It's a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth. Been there many times. Matter of fact, I'm going back in May. Been to Corinth many times. Beautiful, beautiful ancient city. Paul is writing a letter to this church in Corinth. And oh, by the way, one of the reasons why you ought to read your Bible, the Bible's fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating. This book, probably, if you were to put a book of the Bible on reality TV, this would be the book that would make it. I mean, you talk about a church that had some weird stuff going on. Listen, here's what they were dealing with. You think we got a problem with the coronavirus? They got a guy sleeping with his stepmother. They had people coming to the Lord's Supper getting drunk out of their minds. They had Christians taking other Christians to pagan courts that didn't even believe in God, suing them over absolutely non-essential things. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff going on. But in chapter 10, which is where we're going to be looking today, they were having a debate. Now, listen to this debate they were having. There was this big debate going on in the church. And here was the debate. Can you grill hamburger on a big green egg that's been dedicated to a pagan? Can you eat that? Can you grill it and can you eat it and you're good to go? Can you really do that in good conscience? You say, Where, where'd that come from? Well, Corinth was a pagan city, worshiped all kinds of false gods, but it was a very religious city. 
So if you were to walk down the ancient streets of Corinth, which I'm going to do again in a couple of months, if you were to walk, well, we hope we will. If we were to walk, if you were to walk down the ancient streets of Corinth back 2,000 years ago, on every street corner, there'd be an altar. You could go down there on any holy day on that street corner, they'd be sacrificing a bull or a cow or a goat or a lamb, and they would be sacrificing these animals to this pagan God. Well, the, you know, so everybody would come to church. They'd see the sacrifice. They'd yell and scream at this pagan God. Then everybody would go home. Well, these pagan priests, they were businessmen. They, they, had, they, they had a great idea. They said, hey, why don't we take these fillets and these New York strips and these ribeyes and these lamb chops, and why don't we go sell them to Kroger and Publix and Outback and Longhorns and Ruth Chris? We'll make a fortune. And that's what they did. But here's the problem. So you're a Christian and you walk into the Publix or you walk into Kroger, you go out to Ruth Chris, you know this meat has been sacrificed to an idol. So now you can imagine this is the debate that broke out. So should a Christian eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol or should he not? Should a Christian eat meat that's been sacrificed to a false god since we don't believe in that god? Well, so you had two sides to the story, right? What do you think some people said? It's all meat. It tastes the same. Who cares if it's you know, devoted to a personal god or false god or not? It doesn't matter. But then there were other people that said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't want to give people a false impression that you think it's okay to worship a pagan god. So the question was real. Do you grill or do you not grill? What do you do? So Paul lays down a general principle. And here's the principle Paul lays down. <clears throat> he said, look, there were people that were saying, I have the right to do anything you say. Now, Paul's telling, quoting what these people are saying. He says, you know what? You're right, but not everything's beneficial. Well, I have the right to do anything. Paul says, well, yeah, but not everything is constructive. And then he lays down this big principle. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, <clears throat> that helped to move the ball down the field a little bit, but the question was still out there. So, Paul, now that you've raised another question. You say I ought to do good for what's somebody else, not for me, but how do you determine what's good for the other person? In other words, how do you know what to do when you're not sure what to do? How do you know whether you should eat or you shouldn't eat? How do you know whether you <clears throat> should drink or you shouldn't drink? And Paul says, I'm so glad you asked that question because there's really a bigger question behind the question. And the easy answer to the question is you got to figure out why you're even here to begin with. What is your purpose? Why did God put you on this planet? Why are you alive right now? And he says, let me tell you why. I'm going to tell you the one purpose of why you're here. As a matter of fact, it's the purpose of the church. As a matter of fact, in the grand scheme of things, it is the purpose of everything that's ever been created on the, in this world and everyone living on this world. So Paul says, let me drop this bomb on you. And here's the bomb. So whether you eat or drink or, let's say this real loud. What does that say? Whatever. Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Now, here's the kicker. You ready? You will never understand the purpose of your life. You will never accept the purpose of your life. 
You will never practice the purpose of your life unless you understand one thing about your life. And I'm gonna tell you right now, some of you are not gonna like this at all because it's gonna radically change your lifestyle if you believe what I'm about to tell you. But you've gotta get this down. I'm telling you right now, you're gonna live a wasted life. You ready? It is not about me. Your life is not about you. We were not put here for our gain. We were put here for his glory. We were not put here for our gain. We were not put into this life to see what we could get out of it. We were put in this life to see what we could give to the one that gave us life to begin with. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. We're in a capital campaign right now, but the purpose of this campaign is not to raise money. It is to build believers. The purpose is not to take money from you. That's not what we're trying to do. The purpose is to give you an opportunity to invest in God's work for God's glory and thereby achieve God's purpose for your life. So Paul says, let's just settle once and for all why we ought to do what we do. And here's the great thing. Once you finally realize this is my one major purpose in life, Paul says, once you start achieving that purpose, there are two other unbelievable benefits that will come out of your life that will make the greatest impact on others you could ever, ever hope to have. All right, so what's the purpose? Number one, we are to seek God's glory. That's what we're here for. We are to seek God's glory. Now remember, Paul is dealing with a situation where you wanna do the right thing, you, you do, but sometimes you're just not sure what the right thing is. So here's the principle. Now watch what Paul says. He says, look, you're free to do as a believer what you can do. That's true, but you're not always free to do what you want to do. Why? Because you should always seek the good of others before your own. Okay, so Paul, what does that mean when we come dealing with this whole meat deal that's been sacrificed uh, you know, to idols? He says, well, on the one hand, Eat everything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In other words, Paul says, you know what? A lot of you have a point. Meat's meat, tastes the same, no big deal, not a problem. If you go buy meat and you take it to your house and you'll go to the big green egg and you want to eat it, eat, drink, and be merry, for one day you're going to die. That's fine. But then he says, but on the other hand, if someone says to you, this has been offered and sacrificed, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So Paul says, well, here's the answer. Paul, should I eat meat sacrificed to idols or should I not? Paul says, well, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. And sometimes you should and sometimes you shouldn't. And then that raises the question, okay, how do you know which is which? How do you really know when you should do it or you shouldn't do it? When is it good for others or not? Paul says again, I'm glad you asked that question because if you'll settle this, you'll know what to do. So whether you eat or drink, and Paul said, hey, while we're in the territory, let's just tell you this, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now that raises a big question. What do you mean by the glory of God? Well, the word glory literally means something that is worthy of, of, of complete praise and something worthy of complete honor. So when you read about the glory of God, what you're reading about is the greatness of God and the grandeur of God and the goodness of God. Now, when we talk about seeking God's glory, there are several things you have to keep in mind, all right? First of all, listen carefully. God doesn't just deserve glory. God is glory. 
He is the only being in the universe that radiates glory. So in one sense, can I be honest? Even though we ought to give him glory, he doesn't need us to give him glory so he will have glory. He's already got glory. So if we came into the church today and I said, let me tell you what we're not going to do today, folks. We're not going to praise God. We're not going to exalt God. We're not, going to, we're not going to elevate God. We're not going to honor God. We're not going to bless God. We're not going to do that today. Guess what? He still have glory. He still have praise. He still have honor. He still be gracious. He still be great. He still be good. And yet Paul says, but we are to give him glory and we are to recognize his glory. Well, I don't understand. If he doesn't need it, why should I do it? Because he's God and he deserves it. So the point is, you don't add to his glory when you give him glory. And you don't take away from his glory if you don't give him glory. But Paul says our major purpose is to talk and walk and live our lives in such a way that we always recognize his glory, exalt his glory, and proclaim his glory. Now here's what this does for you. As you begin to live your life and you begin to say, I want to do everything I do today, go everywhere I go today, say everything I say today, think everything I think today, act in every way I act today, I want to do everything for your glory. The reason why that's such a great thing is because it reminds you, my life is not about me. I'm not here for me. I'm not here for my good. I am here for your glory. So then you finally realize, you know what? It's not about what we do that counts. It's why we do it and who we do it for. Now that's hard. Let me tell you why that's such a hard thing for us to do. Give you an illustration. Have you ever noticed that if somebody sends you a group picture, okay? So somebody emails you or they text you a group picture. Now let's all be honest. Don't look at me real holy right now. Let's just all be honest. So you get this group picture. Somebody tell me, what's the very, you're in the picture now, you're in this picture. What is the first thing you look for? You. You don't give a rip what anybody else looks like. If that woman is drooling off her mouth, you couldn't care less. If that guy's cross-eyed, doesn't matter. If, 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 if part of his hair is sticking up and he doesn't have any hair on the other side, you don't, it doesn't matter to you. You're looking at one thing, how do I look? And guess what? If you look good, you go, that's an awesome picture right? But it doesn't matter if everybody else is in a tuxedo and a princess gown. If you look bad, the picture's gone. Why is that? Because we were all born with a default setting in our mind that said, it's all about me. My life is about me. That little baby that Alex has, that little, that little bitty baby's about, what, two months old now? You know what that baby's thinking every day? It's all about me. That baby cries in the middle of the night. Do you want that baby saying? It's all about me. That diaper's wet and that baby's crying. Do you want that, baby, that baby's telling that mom and dad? It's all about me. But I'm tired. I don't care if you're tired. It's all about me. I don't want to feed you right now. I don't care. I'm, I'm hungry. It's all about me. We are born with that default setting. It's all about me. There's only one problem with that. It's not. It never has been about you. It is not about you. It will never be about you. It's all about him. So here's the good news. It's not about whether we succeed or fail. It's not about whether we're having good days or bad days. It's not about whether we're rich or poor. It's not about whether we're healthy or sick. It's not even about whether we live or die. 
That's not what life is all about. It is all about glorifying God no matter what's going on around us, behind us, before us, or above us. Any way, anywhere, anytime, anyhow, whenever, wherever, Paul says we are to glorify God. Because the biggest question God's always asking us all the time is this, why? See, the biggest question we ask every day is what? So we get up, we have a to-do list. This is what I'm going to do today. We go to our work. This is what I need to to do to be successful. I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm just simply telling you, God never asked the what question. God's always asking the why question. We're always worried about method. God's worried about motive. So let me just make this real practical. Why did you come to church today? I'm glad you did, but why did you come to church today? Check it off your do list. Feel guilty if you don't. Want to try to check out, see what the message is about. That's all well, that's all good. But if you came to church today for any other reason than to glorify God, God writes down zero. Why, why do you give financially to God's work? Because I get a tax deduction. If that's why you give to God's work, you know what God writes down? Zero. If I get in my study and I do every week and I bust it every week trying to give the very best message I can and I do. I'm not saying that to brag. I just do, and I hope it shows. I'm out there. I'm, I'm really getting with it. But you know what? If I do that, so you come up to me after the service and tell me what a great preacher I am, God writes down zero. If I get up here and sing, but I get up here and sing so you hear what a beautiful voice I've got, and you'll brag on what a great musician I am, God writes down zero. That's why you ought to hang a bright, flashing neon sign over every decision you make, every habit you practice, every word you say, every action you take, every trial you go through, every word that goes into, comes out of your mouth, every bit of food or drink that goes into your mouth, you ought to be asking this one big, this one sign ought to be shining all the time, all to the glory of God. Can I really do this for the glory of God? And by the way, that sign ought to shine the brightest even in the darkest of days as we learn from one of our best Guys in our church, he's one of my best buds. His name is Chris. I want you to hear Chris's story. My name is uh, Chris Frutiger, and uh, I've been married for 54 years to my my lovely wife, and uh, we don't have children, but uh, God's been getting to us our old age, so we're enjoying it. In uh, April of last year, we began to notice a, a growth above my right eye, and. Um, I went to uh, my ophthalmologist. It, it caused me to have double vision, so he referred me to a plastic surgeon. And uh, I was in his office. He came in, and within 30 seconds, he said, I believe you've got cancer. Uh, the only remedy was surgery, and I had what was called an extenoration of my eye socket, which means they removed everything out of my eye socket. And then I went through uh, uh, six weeks of a proton therapy at Embry for uh, five days a week. A quote by Ann Graham Lotz, when she had cancer, she said, this cancer does not mean God is mad at me or that uh, uh, I've done something wrong. It's just the assignment he get, has given me and, and I want it to bring glory to him. God is faithful. He, he always does what he says he's going to do. He's always kept his promises. And he promised that, that he would never leave us, and uh, he hasn't. He's been with us through it all. It's, I mean, there's no way I could say how much this church has meant to me, uh, uh, not just during this process, but the whole time we've been here. We have a small group. I teach a small group. And we couldn't have made it without them. 
10 of the men in our class uh, volunteered to take me back and forth to downtown Atlanta, to Emory, uh, for my daily radiation treatments. And, uh, and so we couldn't have done it without them and their, their prayers and their visits. And the church has just been there. You know, they've been there for us through this. His loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. Great is his faithfulness. And we have seen that throughout this, that he has been faithful. So whatever we go through, if there's something else, if the cancer comes back, so what comes back, whatever, we, are, we know that he's gonna be faithful and, and, and see us through it, give us the grace we need to go through it. I, I never really felt that, that, that God wasn't with me going through this. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. Isn't that great? See, the question is not, so will this make me a lot of money? The question is not, will this make me popular or more accepted? The question is not even, okay, will this get me where I want to go? The question is always, will this glorify God? That's, that's always going to be the question. And Paul said, that includes what you eat. It includes what you drink, it includes what you say, it includes what you hear, it includes what you see, it includes where you go. It is whatever, it includes everything, how you act, how you react. I'm just gonna say this and move on. I got a strong feeling that there are a lot of lives that would be changed in this room and those listening to me right now, I've got a strong feeling that if you were to decide right now, you know what? I'm gonna spend the rest of my life doing everything I can to bring glory to my God. I'm gonna do that. I got a strange feeling it would change the way some of you <clears throat> would handle your money. I got a strong feeling it would handle the way you relate to your wife or your husband. I have a strong feeling it might change the way you, even in your attitude of where you work and who you work for. I have a strong feeling it might have an effect on the kind of language that you use and the kind of words that you say. Because our major purpose is to seek God's glory. Now, here's the good news. Paul said when you do that, there are two benefits that will just come out of your life that will enable you to have the greatest impact on other people you could ever hope to have. Because when you seek God's glory, here's what he says, then you'll share God's grace. You will share God's grace. Now, Paul just shares how, when you make, this is a beautiful thing. If you make up your mind, Lord, just for today, Everything I do, I want to make sure I do it for your glory. You know what, 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 what Paul says? He says, your life will be just like a rising tide. It will lift all boats. Because the more you glorify God, guess what? The more good you do to others and the more good you do for others. And Paul said, the greatest thing you can ever do for another human being ever is to share God's grace. So listen to what Paul says. He says, look. Do not cause anyone to stumble with the Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now, if you're listening carefully, you've probably already picked up something. And if you haven't, I'm going to share it with you. Paul is trying to tell us, when it comes to seeking the glory of God in your life, there's no neutral ground. You never get a vacation. You never say, okay, just for today, this is for me. You never, ever get a, a break from that, particularly said in the way you conduct yourself in public. So Paul's been telling us in one of two ways every day, you will either be a stepping stone to the glory of God or you're gonna be a stumbling block to the glory of God. No neutral ground. 
Because whatever you do, you either do it for the glory of God or you don't. And then he says, by the way, when you do that, you won't cause Jews to stumble, you won't cause Greeks to stumble, and you won't cause the church of God to stumble. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why did Paul refer to those three, three, three entities? Why did he say, hey, if you live for the glory of God, you won't cause Greeks, Jews, or the church of God to stumble? He was so brilliant when he said this because what he just does for us is he describes the whole human race because there's only two kinds of people in this world, ethnically. Biblically speaking, there are only two ethnicities in the world. You know that, right? There are what? Jews. You're one or the other. I can tell every one of you that right now. You are either a Jew or a Gentile. There's only two ethnicities, Jews or Gentiles. Spiritually speaking, there are only two kinds of people in the world. You're either a part of God's church or you're not. It's that simple. So Paul says, here's the beautiful news. He said, when you are seeking God's glory, you will be sharing God's grace and you won't be a stumbling block to anybody. You won't be a stumbling block to an unbeliever coming to Jesus and you won't be a stumbling block to a believer who needs to get closer to Jesus. In other words, here's what Paul said. We may offend people when we give the gospel, but we should never offend people the way we live the gospel. And Paul says, when you are seeking the glory of God, you will be doing good for others. But, but, but Paul, wait a minute. How's that so good for other people? I get how it's good for God. I guess how it's good for me. How's that so good for other people? What does that do? And then he says this. I, this is my favorite part. He said, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. And then he lays this out. He drops this bomb. So that they may be saved. You want to seek God's glory? Yes, I do, Pastor. Can I tell you a good way to determine whether or not that's where you are in your life? Yeah, okay. Let me tell you. You will know you're full of the glory of God when the greatest desire you have for every other human being is that they may be saved. If you're a Democrat, the greatest desire you ought to have for a Republican is that they be saved. If you're a Republican, the greatest desire you ought to have for a Democrat is they be saved. If you're a conservative, your greatest desire ought to be for a liberal, that liberal gets saved. If you're a liberal, your greatest desire for a conservative ought to be that conservative gets saved. Your greatest desire for your husband, your wife, your kids, your next door neighbor, your boss, your employees, your greatest desire for all of them is they may be saved. You know why? Because nothing brings more glory to God than when we share God's grace and somebody receives God's grace. And that's why Paul said, when you seek God's glory, you will share God's grace. I, I don't know how many of you are Star Wars nerds. I'm not. I like Star Wars. I've seen, you know, all the movies. I'm not a nerd. I don't know that much about it. But if you're a nerd, you'll know this name. If you're not, you won't. The name is Biggs Darklighter. How many of you know the name Biggs Darklighter? How many of you know that name? All right, we have some nerds in the room, okay? So you know Biggs Darklighter. I never heard of this guy. How many of you know the name Luke Skywalker? Okay, see, everybody knows Luke Skywalker. Well, guess what? If it had not been for Biggs Darklighter, we wouldn't even know who Luke Skywalker was. If it weren't for Biggs Darklighter, Star Wars would have never been made. It would have stopped before it ever got started. You say, what do you mean? Biggs Darklighter was known as Red Three. He was the, the X-Wing fighter pilot. 
They're, they're fighting Darth Vader. They're going down this canyon and they're getting fired at and they're firing on Darth Vader. And he's, he's, he's flying right alongside Luke uh, Skywalker's aircraft. Well, at the last moment, Darklighter, he sees that, that Darth Vader has locked his laser onto Luke Skywalker's, uh, Skywalker's jet. At the last moment, he thrusts his spacecraft between Luke and the Imperial aircraft. And instead of Luke Skywalker getting destroyed, he gets destroyed. Instead of Luke Skywalker dying, he dies. He's a hero. Guess what? Do you know how long his role lasted in that movie? 90 seconds. That's it. 90 seconds. He's just he's got a small part. I mean, can you imagine your big dark ladder? Hey, we want to hire you for this movie. What am I going to do? Die? Really? How long will I be in? 90 seconds. Seriously? Yeah, but you are so important. Because without you, we don't even know who Luke Skywalker is. So what's that got to do with me? In the story of life, I hate to burst your bubble. In the story of life, excuse my grammar, I want to emphasize this. You ain't Luke Skywalker. Jesus is Luke Skywalker. You're bigs. You're just a small part in the story. You just have a minor role to play, but it is a very important role. And here's the point. The story of your life is not about you. The story of your life is to be about him. The movie is not about us. It is about him. You know what our part is in the grand story of life? Can I tell you, everybody listening? If you're listening, raise, wave at me. Everybody listening? Do you know what your part is in the story of your life? It's to get his story told, not yours. That's our part. That's, that, that's why we're here for. We are to seek God's glory. And how do you do that? When you seek God's glory, you share God's grace. I'll tell you why I want to glorify God. Not so people brag on my life. Not so people will think I'm some great pastor or some great preacher or some great this or some great that. You know why I want to glorify God? Because I desire that people are saved. So you seek God's glory. You share God's grace. And then Paul says, let me tell you one other thing that will then happen. He said, you will show God's goodness. Now watch this. We'll wrap this up. One of the things about the Bible I want to teach you, and it's kind of unfortunate, but when they first wrote the Bible, when the Bible was first written on scrolls, they didn't have chapter divisions. They didn't have verse separations. That was kind of for you know, convenience reading. So every scholar I've read after, and I agree, I, I, I believe there's a mistake. I believe the first verse of chapter 11 really ought to go with the last verse of chapter 10. So Paul's just got through saying, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then he makes this incredible statement. Listen to what he says. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, I'm not kidding you. I'm in my study and I'm reading that and I put my Bible down and I go, good grief. Man, Paul, you were so committed to seeking God's glory and you were so committed to sharing God's grace, you could actually say, hey, you want to know how to do this thing called the Christian life? Follow me. Get in my footsteps. Imitate me. Follow me, even as I follow the example of Christ. Well, wait a minute. Time out. What example did Jesus set? What are you talking about? How does this relate to the glory of God? All right, I'm going to tell you something I guarantee you've never heard before. 
If I were to say to you, so why did Jesus come to planet Earth? Every one of you would say the same thing. Oh, he came to die on the cross for our sins. Let me ask it another way. What is the primary purpose Jesus came to this earth? You say, well, it was to die on the cross, save us from our sins. No, that wasn't the primary purpose. Not what he said. Do you know why Jesus Christ came to this earth? Buckle your seatbelt. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus said, you know why I came? I came to glorify my Father. If you think about it, you go back and look at the life of Jesus. You know what you'll find? Everywhere Jesus went, what was he doing? Seeking God's glory, sharing God's grace, showing the Father's goodness. And here's the amazing thing that Paul says, and I hope you'll buy into this. Paul said, what was true of Jesus is true of me. And what's true of me can be true about you. I was reading the other day, I love this story. It's a true story. There was a mother from Costa Mesa, California. And she told about one Monday morning she got up, she had a little three-year-old boy. She got up one Monday morning, they'd gone to church the day before. She got up on one Monday morning and she said, normally her son would do what other three-year-old boys would do. You know, he'd get up, watch cartoons, play and all that kind of stuff. She said, she got up that morning and as soon as her son got up, he said, everywhere I went, he was right on my heels, everywhere I went. Followed me everywhere. She said, I couldn't get anything done. I couldn't mop the floor. I couldn't, I couldn't vacuum the carpet. I couldn't make the bed. She said, every time I turned around, I'd almost fall over him because he, just wouldn't, he wouldn't just get away from me. She tried everything. She tried to turn on the TV. She tried to give him breakfast. She tried to get him to play with the puppy. She tried to get him to get on the iPad. She tried every single thing. She said, he just wouldn't get out of my way. She said, every time I'd say, why don't you go do this or go do that? He said, oh, uh, that's all right, mommy. I'd, I'd just rather be in here with you. She said, she just, after about two hours, she just couldn't take it anymore. She sat him down and she said, son, why do you keep following me everywhere? And that little boy said, well, mommy, my Sunday school teacher told us yesterday that we ought to walk in Jesus' footsteps. But I can't see Jesus, but I can see yours. Let that sink in. There's a world out there, fellow Christians. They can't see the Jesus we believe in. They can't see his steps, but they watch yours every single day. Every day. Paul says, follow my example even as I follow Christ. So let me just ask a very penetrating question. Very penetrating. Are you living for Christ in such a way constantly seeking God's glory, sharing God's grace and showing God's goodness that you would be thrilled if people walked in your footsteps and honored if they decided they were going to imitate your life in the same way that you imitate Christ. Yes, we are asking you to invest in God's work through this campaign because when you invest in God's work and you do it for the right reason, you're seeking his glory. When you invest in God's church, you're sharing God's grace. And when you do it out of gratitude for what God does, has done for you, you are showing God's goodness. That's what you're doing. So close your Bibles, put down your iPads, quit thinking about the restaurant where you're going to for a minute. Give me two more minutes, we're done. Don't worry about the virus. How many of you in your house have duct tape? In your house somewhere you have duct tape. Okay, most of you do. Okay. Let me tell you about duct tape. You'll love this. 
We're told that duct tape can repair just about anything. It seems like its purposes are endless. Well, guess what? So these technicians get together and they do this study. And you know what they found out? Duct tape doesn't succeed well at the purpose for which it was created. Scientists at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California found out duct tape is not a good product for sealing ductwork. Max Sherman, a physicist who conducted these experiments to monitor the effectiveness of air conditioning and heating sealants, said, and I'm quote, what we found was that duct tape almost always failed. In fact, the failure rate results in approximately 30% of the heat or cool air generated in an average home to be lost in the attic or the wall space because of poorly sealed ducts. So here's what they found out. You can do a lot of stuff with duct tape. You can patch a ripped bicycle seat. You can seal off the leak of a radiator hose. You can secure a broken window. You can even tape an alligator's mouth shut. Georgia does it every year now. You knew that was going to get in there, right? But you can't even depend upon duct tape to fulfill the primary purpose for which it was created. And here's the thought. Here's a thought, Thrill. How many duct tape Christians are walking around the world today? Oh, you're getting a lot done. You got the college degree. You're living the dream, driving the car, living in the house, checking off the religious box. But your major purpose, if you to wake up and look in the mirror and all of a sudden realize it's not about me. It's all about him. We were not put here. We were not put here for our gain, but for his glory. So here's the wonderful news. When you seek the glory of God and you share the grace of God and you show the goodness of God, you're showing a world out there that needs to hear it more than ever. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It is all about Let's pray together. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, just for the glory of God, just be still for just a moment. We'll be done. I probably will be quick. I want to make this one statement. Listen to me carefully. If you do not give your life to Jesus Christ, you will live a wasted life. You know why? You will never achieve the glory of God until you receive the Son of God who came to bring glory for, to God by dying for you. Did you hear that? You will never achieve the glory of God until you receive the Son of God who came to glorify God by dying for you. If you don't receive the Son of God, no glory of God. As a matter of fact, you know what sin is? The Bible says sin is falling short of the glory of God. The number one thing that gives glory to God for you. Here's the first step to tell you. You say, man, I, I want to live for God's glory. What's the first thing I've got to do? The first thing you've got to do is admit you need it. Admit that you can't get to it on your own and give your life to the Son of God who is the glory of God. So if you'd like to take the first step today of knowing that you can live the rest of your life for the glory of God, that you'll finally achieve the purpose for which you were put here, pray this prayer right now. Pray this prayer right now if you've never done it. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. You're that Savior. You died for my sins. 
I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. So Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. I trust you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And today, I give all that I am to all that you are. Did you pray that prayer? Yes, pastor, I did. Did you mean it? Yes, pastor, I did. Then would you just do this for the glory of God? Just for the glory of God. Not for me, not for you, for his glory. I want you to take that worship guide that you received when you walked in this morning. On the bottom of that card, there's a guide, there's a, uh, there's a card that says connection card. I want you to do this right now for God's glory. I want you to take this card out right now, tear it off, take a pen or a pencil, should be one in your seat right in front of you. Here's what I want you to do. Sign your name, give us some contact information, air, uh, email, home address, cell phone, and then check off that box at the bottom that says, today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer with me and you want to glorify God, you'll do that. Not doing it for me, doing it for him. Check that off. Now, if you check off the first one, you want to go ahead and check off the second one. I want to be biblically baptized. Why? Because the second step to glorifying God after you receive the Son of God is to publicly confess the Son of God. You do that by being baptized. By the way, we're going to have a big baptism service Easter Sunday. I'm going to be baptizing all Easter weekend. If you'd like to be baptized on one of the greatest days of the year, just get on your calendar, send us an email, say, can I be baptized Easter? We'll put you on the calendar. What a great day to be baptized. What a great day to glorify God. Then it may be you say, I don't need to do either one of those things. Or you might say, you know what? I've, I've, I've given my life to Christ, Pastor, and I've never been biblically baptized. Well, then you've not taken the second step to glorify God. Check off the second box. And then you may be one of those people that say, I don't need to check off either the first or second. How about the third one? Are you committed to the church where you're attending? Are you a member? Are you serving? Are you financially invested? Are you personally involved? Well, no, I'm not. Well, get in on the glory of God. Check off that third box. I'd like to start the membership process here at our church. And when the service is over at either one of our campuses, you simply go to the lobby. There'll be a table out there. It says connection points. You can't miss it. Take your card to that table and just hand it to them. That's all you need to do. They'll know exactly what you're doing. They'll look at your card and know what information you need. They will give it to you. You'll be on your way out the door. It's that easy. But you do it for the glory of God. So let me, as I pray, remind you. Why do I ask you to have your one? Why why do I ask you to have that one person you're praying for, that one person you desire to be saved, that one person that you know they need to seek God's glory, they need to share God's grace, they need to be shown God's goodness. Why do I do that? Why do we ask you to invest in God's work financially? Why do we do that? Why do we ask you to go on a mission trip? Why do we ask you to get into a small group? Why do we ask you to disciple? Why do we ask you to worship and send to serve? Why do we ask you to do that? It's for the glory of God. Lord, I realize more every day how short life is, how brief it is, how quick it is. I want to live every day of my life, whatever life I have left to live, for your glory. I pray that for my people. I pray that for my church. Thank you for your word today. May it glorify you and you alone in the name of Jesus. Amen.